0: Bless us with this morning. Thank you for the cold weather, Lord God. Thank you that we can trust you're in control of it all. And Father, I pray that uh, as we're in our homes today, after we leave church later, and we're uh, we're sitting with, uh, with blankets and heaters, Lord, that we would remember to give you praise and thanksgiving, Lord, because uh, we we can have uh, those comforts and those luxuries, Lord God, that we don't deserve, but you've given them out of your grace and out of your goodness. Father, we thank you most of all for the provision you've given us, not just of of homes and shelters and blankets and heat, but the provision of forgiveness for the sins we've committed against you by sending your son Jesus to die in our place. And so, Father, we lift you up and exalt you and ask that um, you would help us now to proclaim him uh, to each other, to help one another to follow Christ more, uh, more devotedly, more passionately, um, with, with both eyes fixed on him, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good to see everybody here. We are are beginning here our third week um, in our series on discipleship. And uh, the reason why we're doing this discipleship series is because, as we've said, we want to keep discipleship before the people of Calvary Bible Church. We want to be a church that uh, has a culture of discipleship. Uh, so that we are we're talking about it we're pursuing it for ourselves and we're pursuing it for for others and discipleship is happening not just in the sense that we're we're teaching in Sunday school and we're we're hearing preaching from the pulpit and and there are small groups uh, all those things yes are included in discipleship but discipleship is more than that discipleship takes place in conversations after church it takes place whenever you invite people over to your home and you seek to have uh gospel-centered, Jesus Christ-centered conversation as you, as you sing songs together. I, I love to, to see some of the young people here um, as they're waiting for student ministries to, be, to begin on uh, Sunday evenings, about 3.30, 3 o'clock. If uh, you just take a gander over at the, uh, the far porch in front of the chapel, you'll hear them singing praise and worship songs, About four or five of them. They just, they just get together and they sing together I mean these discipleship is more than just coming for Sunday school it's more than just coming here for church it's it's interaction with one another as we seek to help each other grow and change and become more like Christ and follow Christ more devotedly and so as we've been saying along the way it's your responsibility as a Christian as someone who is in Christ belongs to the church it's your responsibility to pursue discipleship for yourself and to help others in the process of discipleship to follow Jesus Christ more devotedly. Okay? So what are you doing to invite discipleship in your life and give discipleship to others? It doesn't mean that you have to spend an hour, hour and a half each week uh, over the coffee table with somebody and you have your, uh, where you're teaching them through, through the Bible necessarily. It It can be that, and I love it when that happens, but it can also happen as you're having conversations, as you're seeking to be intentional with how you use your time, as you're sending notes of encouragement that are are, um, based in the Word of God, that are reminding your your brothers and sisters who God is and what he's done. These are aspects of discipleship as well, and so we should be seeking to invite it into our lives and give it to others. Um, I, I will say In terms of the Great Commission, as we've talked about in previous weeks, what's included in the Great Commission? Two primary things. Evangelism, as we make disciples of all nations. And also, helping each other become more like Jesus. Helping each other follow Christ. Okay, so that's really what we're concentrating on here in our Discipleship 101 series. How can we help each other follow Christ better? And so... Last week, we discussed the fact that discipleship involves the whole person, right? It involves the whole person. So we had the four H's of whole person discipleship. Heart, head, hands, and home, right? So heart, we, we discussed primarily last week, which is your affections, your emotions, your will, right? Your desires. So we are to follow Christ with your heart. And today, we'll be discussing primarily the head, which is your thinking. But also uh, remember that hands are your application of biblical truth, right? Putting it to work in your life practically. And then home is just what we use as a synonym for the local church. You should be using your gifts, your abilities to build up the church in love. And so how are you seeking to do that? So um, as we're thinking through heart, head, hands, and home, whole person discipleship, remember that it comes from the Great Commission because the Great Commission uh, says that we are to make disciples of all nations. But verse 20 says teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. That's what Jesus said. And we found last week that there are many commandments that Jesus gives to our hearts. Jesus gives commandments to our hearts. So as we seek to follow him, we obey those commandments that he gives with regard to the emotions, the will, the affections, etc. So remember also as we, we talk through whole person, discipleship, heart, head, hands, and home, that these categories do overlap, right? There's going to be uh, some, some head and some heart and some heart and some hands and some hands and home. You know, they overlap. It's not just we se- separate them perfectly and there are these clear lines of demarcation. We separate them to help us think specifically about this, but certainly they overlap, okay? So um, let's look today at some of the commandments that Jesus gave with regard to our minds, Okay? worshiping following Jesus with our heads or our minds okay turn with me to Matthew 22:37 we looked at this one last week but we'll look at it again we have here Jesus speaking sorry wait is that the right one? No, Matthew. I was in Luke, sorry. Look at me. I'm a pastor. Okay. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We discussed that last week. And with all your soul and with all your mind. We shall love God with all of our mind. Okay, so that is a commandment to our heads. Um Luke now we're turning to uh, Luke 22 look at Luke 22:19 These your commandments Jesus gives to our minds or to our, our heads just to show you that when we are called to observe all that he's commanded it includes our head. Luke 2219 and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you remember Christ without your mind? I don't believe so, that you can remember Christ as you take the Lord's table without using your mind. So every time you seek to be faithful and your Uh, Participation in the Lord's Supper, you are engaging your mind to remember Christ, remember who He is, remember what He has done. So, this includes the mind. What about Matthew 10, 16? Matthew 10, 16 says this Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So, be wise as serpents, and innocent as doves. We're commanded to be wise. And obviously, that fits with what we are called to in the book of Proverbs, as Dan's been teaching. Finally, we want to look at John 14.1. We discussed this last week as well, with regard to the heart. John 14.1 Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Does does belief include your mind? How so? How does belief include your mind? Okay, yeah, you know what to believe. You have to understand components of the scriptures, components of the gospel, of components of who Christ is, in order to believe it. You can't believe it without understanding it, right? So belief includes a mental acknowledgement, a mental agreement to these things. Right? But it's more than that. We've, dis- we've discussed that. It involves the, the heart trusting Christ, and it involves the, the emotions as well. And I, if you remember back when uh, Dan just first started John, in chapter 1, he talked about um, belief in the book of John and how it involves more than just a mental agreement to um, the, the components of the gospel. It involves that, yes, agreement mentally, understanding the gospel, but also um, involves you your will and involves your emotions well, but certainly involves the head. Okay, now, though I'm pointing you to commandments that Christ has given that involve the head or the mind, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, pay attention to any of the other scriptures in the New Testament, in the Bible, that are with regard to the head, right? Jesus did say, "Teach, teach, teaching those to obey or observe all that I have commanded, okay? But, all he has commanded is not just what he spoke verbally in the Gospels, right? Because the Bible is his word. So we should look to the New Testament and the Old Testament, and, and we should look at the commandments that are there as well and seek to obey those with regard to the head, the heart, the hands, and home as well. So when you look to the New Testament, know, okay, that these are Christ's words as well, right? Because the Bible is God's word. So I'm giving you just ones where he's spoken in the Gospels, but there are... Far more when you open up the entirety of God's word. Okay, so what does it mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus with our minds? Okay, let me say this. To engage in the exercise of thinking in order to know God, love God, and love God. Engage in the exercise of thinking in order to know God, love God, and love people. Now, so much of what has been called discipleship in the past and evangelicalism has just been the accumulation of more knowledge, okay? Get more knowledge. If we want, if you're going to disciple somebody, just teach them more. Just, just teach them to know more about what the Bible says. Teach, And that should be definitely a part of discipleship. But um, I believe that the Scriptures would have us thank and attain more knowledge of who God is and what God has done so that we will love him, know him, and love people. Not just to the end of knowing more about him, but so that we can, we can actually know him and love him and love other people so that ministry take, takes place, so that, so that worship takes place, so that, so that we adore him more and serve him more. There is an end beyond accumulating more knowledge about God. And that is to know him, love him, and love people as well. Uh, we believe that the mind serves, uh, serves us in order to help us love and to know. So it's not just in, in, in itself, to know m- more about who God is and what he has done. Right? That kind of knowledge can very easily make us proud. And we're just attaining more knowledge for the, the sole purpose of attaining more knowledge. Okay, so let's let's unpack this a little bit. What it, what it means to follow Jesus with our minds. Turn to Philippians chapter three, verses seven through ten. Let me read this for us. whatever gain. not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, as we seek to follow Christ with our minds, it means not just seeking to Know about God, but seeking to know God, right, to know Christ, not just know about him. If you've uh, ever read J.I. Packer's Knowing God, a great book, one of my favorites, he makes that distinction in the early uh, chapters of the book about how we want to be a people who don't just know about God, but know God himself, there's a relationship there. There's communion. There's there's fellowship that takes place as we know Him and not just know about Him. Right? Look with, how, how do we know that there, this is not just knowing about God in this text in Philippians three seven through ten? How do we know it's not just Him saying, um, I, "I desire to know about God," but to actually know Him? How do we know that from this text? What do you think? What, what would clue you in to uh, Paul saying, it's not just that I want to know about him, I want to actually know him? What would, what would clue you in here? Yeah. Yeah. Everything else, all the things that he, he counted as gain previously. Now they're lost. They're rubbish to him now compared to Christ. If, he was, if it was just a knowledge about Christ, you would think, well, that's, that's not, is that really the surpassing worth that he's talking about? If it's just knowing about him, if he says, no. He says, um, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So actually knowing the risen Christ is, is worth giving up. Everything else, and counting everything else that you once counted as gain as loss. What else? Not, this is not just knowing about, but knowing. Two the power of the yeah. I want to know the, to know the, power, of the, the power of the resurrection, yeah. and the fellowship of sharing himself. You want That's right. to something that creates real change. In the yes. Exactly. I mean, when he says share in his sufferings, that's important. He wants to share in his sufferings. This is not, I mean, when you just have knowledge about Christ, there's no sharing in his sufferings. That's definitely an intimate relationship we're speaking of here, right? An intimate knowledge we're talking about. So knowing him. Okay, what what else? The the benefits of knowing him, which uh, he says, in order that I may gain Christ, I may gain, Gain Christ, it's not just knowing about him, right? Um, certainly, this is, this is more than just the head, but in the head is included. He wants to uh, gain Christ, it's not just knowing about, again, and be found in him, right? I want to be found in him. This is, this is not just, uh, okay, I've studied a book, I, I have a, a pretty, pretty good knowledge of the subject matter, or not just becoming an expert on something, but becoming intimately acquainted with Jesus Christ through this relationship that he is pursuing with him and that he's already been given that he's, he's uh, continuing to pursue. Okay, good. So we want, to do, we, know, we want to know, not just know about. Okay, what, up, what about Psalm 119.34? Turn, turn here. It's going to help us understand what it means to follow Christ with our minds. And again, just, just talking about that Philippians chapter 3. More is involved there than the mind, but the mind is certainly present in that text. Psalm 119.34 says this. It's a prayer. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So what are we seeking? What's going on here? I think here's what's going on in this text. I think that the psalmist is seeking knowledge so that his heart will be awakened to love God through obedience. Okay. So following Christ with our minds means seeking knowledge so that our hearts will be awakened to love God. He's praying. He's praying, give me understanding. right? Give me understanding, mental understanding. Why? So that I may keep your law. And observe it with my whole heart, not just, not just outwardly, like it's some kind of um, just checklist for me, routine checklist that I'm doing as you know, just seeking to do something so that I get benefit out of it and I can think well of myself. No, he wants to honor God by obedience with his whole heart. And so in order to do that, he's asking God to give him understanding, right? Are we seeking knowledge of God? Are we seeking to know him more? Um, Are we pleading with him to give us more knowledge so that we can obey him more with our whole entire heart? Are you praying that? God, may I know you more so that I can worship you more? May I know you more so that I can obey you more with my whole heart? Certainly the heart is involved here seeking knowledge so that our hearts will be awakened to love God. And I think in this text it would be through the obedience of obeying his precepts, and his statutes. And, and two, next nice time you've got some time, You're like, when's that going to be? Um, open up your Bibles to Psalm 119 and just start reading. And I want you to take some time to, to identify all the different aspects of how the psalmist is interacting with God. I mean, it's the, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, right? Psalm 119. And I, just in, in reading this recently and, and kind of uh, assigning some homework in relationship to Psalm 119, I've been thinking a lot about the psalmist. He, this is a relationship. I mean, you see him doing a number of things. You see him requesting things of God, give me understanding, right? You see him um, telling God he's going to do things, he's resolving to do things in the future. I will do this because of what you have done. And then other times he's reminding himself of what, what the word of God is and and uh, how awesome it is, and so there's this interaction that's going on. It's it's not, it's kind of this dynamic relationship that you see between the psalmist and God. He's not just um, going through his routine prayers, just praying what he's he's always prayed because that's um, you know, that's what he's in the habit of doing. I mean, he's relating to to God. I mean, this is all just one big interaction with God. I remember what you have done, therefore I will do this. I am doing this because this is true about you. Please give me what I need so that I can uh, honor you in this way. This is what a relationship with God looks like, Psalm 119. Okay, It's experientially what should be going on with us as well. So you know how we're told um, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13? To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. right? And then verse 13, knowing that it is God who works in you, to will and to work for his good pleasure. right? So there's there's an activity there. We're called to work out our salvation, and then we know we can do that because he's working in us to will, to choose, and to work uh, for his good pleasure. right? So I think Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is being lived out in Psalm 119. You've, you've got a, a guy who understands what it means to be empowered by God to do the work of living for his God, right? So he's pleading with God for what he needs so he can continue to walk in his ways so that um, he can honor him with his life. And there's this there's this kind of this cyclical, I'm going to God and I'm praying for what I need so that I honor him with my life. I'm going back to him to ask for what I need so that I can resolve to do this or that with my life. So just open up your Bible to, to Psalm 119 and, and start looking at all the different kinds of interaction between the psalmist and God. It's it's quite astounding, and per, start pursuing that kind of dynamic relationship with the Lord. Um, you know, you get the impression that as you're reading Psalm 119, he he's uh, there's there's not a, he's not putting uh, himself in, into categories like okay, this is only prayer time, just gonna pray, or this is only Bible reading time, right? Or this, or this is only the time that I, I, I'm giving to uh, my work. It, it seems seems to blend together, right? Uh, how he's he's uh in the word but he's asking for grace. He's he's praying but he's praying based on what has been revealed to him in the text of scripture and and then um even you you get the impression that uh he's probably living his life just continually praying to God uh asking for what he needs in order to obey his commandments. So and just just take take a look. Use that uh in your devotional times. Okay. So Seeking to know God, not just know about Him, seeking knowledge so that our hearts will be awakened to love God, right? Letting our minds serve our affections in that way. Also, this we need to seek knowledge that serves others. I want you to open up your Bibles to um, 1 Corinthians 8. We'll start at the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 8. What does this knowledge that serves others look like? Oh, so I'm going to read the text. I want you guys to answer some questions about the text as I'm going along. Paul says Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. What does that mean? What, what knowledge is he talking about there? Any idea? A head knowledge that is in regard to um, the subject matter of what is uh, food offered to idols, right? So he says this knowledge puffs up. So what does he mean by knowledge puffs up? It's the knowledge of the fact that we can eat meat, food offered to idols. This knowledge puffs up. What does he mean puffs up? What does that mean? Exactly, yeah, they're exalting themselves over people who, uh, who don't realize that it's not wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols, right? They have a, a, a weaker conscience, and so their conscience won't allow them to eat meat sacrificed to idols. So this knowledge that you actually can eat meat sacrificed to idols has puffed certain people up, right? Let's continue reading. But love builds up, right? This knowledge puffs up. But not, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Okay, so if you're exalting yourself over, over other people who have weaker consciences because you know that you're free to do certain things and they think that they're not free to do certain things, and you know the gray area areas of, of life, then that is not the knowledge that you, you don't have. Uh, you don't know as you should know. Now look at verse seven. However, not all possess this knowledge, this knowledge about meat or food offered to idols. Okay, They don't have this knowledge. Okay, You've got to realize that because love builds up. Remember, love builds up. Now, he's talking about how not every Christian has a conscience that will allow them to do everything that is in a gray area. Okay, So not everybody has this knowledge. Now I'll look at verse 11. And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the brother of whom Christ died so if you're just saying okay i can do the i'm free to do this or that it's a gray area kind of matter and i'm free to do this so i'm going to do it and you just forget about your brother or sister in Christ that may have a weaker conscience that won't allow them to do this or that but you don't you don't give any thought to that you just do what you want to do anyway what you're doing is you're destroying them, right? You're, you're, you're hindering their walk. You're not helping them. You're, you're creating a stumbling block for them. And so you are not pursuing knowledge that loves, in other words. You're, you're not seeking knowledge that serves other people, right? So you have to ask yourself, um, is the knowledge that you have, is it leading you to love more? or is it is it leading you just to to indulge yourself more and do what you want to do or is your knowledge being fueled to minister and to serve are is your knowledge um, seeking to honor God by serving other people and helping them in their walk instead of hindering them in their walk right so we want to seek a, a knowledge that serves others this if you have A knowledge that you can do something and you're free to do something in Christ, and other people don't have that knowledge? Well, that doesn't give you the freedom to just do it anyway. Because real knowledge, the knowledge that God wants us to have, would have us love. It would have us love and seek to build up the body instead of hinder the body. We tend to just be kind of a rights oriented, individualistic. I can do what I want to do. This is what the word of God says. Instead of thinking of ourselves as inside the community of faith, you you think of yourself that way when when you're doing the things that you're doing. Are you you thinking, okay, but I am in the community of faith. Um, I might be free to do this in Christ, but am I serving the body of Christ through doing these things? Or is this hindering the body of Christ? Listen, I thought that way for years. Of course I'm free to do these things. It's great area. I can do these things and without giving the thought to, well, would this hinder a brother or sister in Christ? Um, and our knowledge should lead us to that end. It should lead us to know God, love God, and love people. Okay. So, having said that, let's get into the practical side of things. How can we help each other follow Jesus with our minds? We want to use our minds to know God love God and love people, so how can we help each other do this? How can we invite this into our lives? How can we uh, actively search and find opportunities to help other people follow Christ with our minds in this regard? Okay. I want you to turn with me to Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Here's what Paul writes. Uh, Think about about knowledge and wisdom and how uh, Christ fits into that. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul, Paul, the reason why he's serving and the reason why he's struggling is so that Christians will be encouraged and they'll reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And I love this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, I think that we are, we can, we can be very weak when it comes to using our minds to uh, think deeply about Christ. In him are hidden all of the treasures, right? The word he uses there? Right? Treasures? Yeah. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If that is true, how come we are not thinking more deeply, or seeking to think more deeply about God? We need to be encouraging each other toward a holy frustration in our knowledge of God. What do I mean by holy frustration? I mean, we should not be content with how much we know about God. Should we be content in Christ? Uh, yes, obviously, uh, be content with who he's made you to be. Your, your identity should be found in Christ, who he made you to be as, a, as an image bearer of God. And you now have that capacity to serve him and to reflect the glory of God. Now that you're a new creation in Christ, you should see yourself as being in Christ. But in terms of contentment with how much you know about God, don't, don't be satisfied with how much you know about God. No more. Seek to know more and encourage each other to know more about Him. Um, you know, if, if somebody seems just you know, unmotivated to really think and think hard and do the hard work of thinking about God according to the Scriptures, encourage one another. There's more than that. There's more to be found. Let's let's remember that in Him are hidden all of the treasures, wisdom and knowledge. Let's seek that out together, Church. We, we can. We can be so easily satisfied when it comes to knowing, the, knowing God. We get in the door of Christianity. We're converted, right? We come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we know that we're secure in our salvation. And we, we kind of just, you know, sometimes we can we can go on on cruise control, right? We we kind of coast after after that. You know, there are certain po- points in your Christian life. I'm sure that you you've just coasted instead of. This sanctification process, this, this, this Christian life that I'm living, I should be living it actively, empowered by his grace, right? I should be living it actively, seeking to know him more deeply. You, you know him here? You think, I, I just, I can't see how much more there is. There's more. I mean, he's an infinite God, right? He is supreme. Right? That, I mean, we can study the Bible in our entire lives and not get to the bottom of it because um, God is so vast and wonderful and beyond um, our capacity for understanding, but yet he has made himself known in so many ways. I mean, raise your hand if you have read a text of Scripture after first coming to Christ and then years later read it again and saw something completely new another level of depth that you did not see when you were less sanctified. Right? We grow, right? We grow in Christ, and so we we should be exhorting each other. There's more. Have you been back to this text in a couple years? Go back. I just read Judges. I just got through doing a study in the mornings on Judges, and, and the things that I saw in Judges that awakened my soul to Christ were not present there when I read Judges like three years ago. The last time I studied it, right? I saw so much more of what God is trying to communicate through or has communicated through the book of Judges because he's growing us, he's changing us, and he's He's opening our eyes to see more of his beauty. And as our affections are, are turned to become more like Christ and our minds, are, are, are awakened to the certain aspects of knowledge that we didn't have before, we get more, there's more depth. So... Don't think, let's not let each other think that we should not return again and again and again to texts we've read over and over and over again. Because, you know, though though the word of God is not changing, what's changing? We are. We're changing because he's making us more like his son. And that means we're going to get more and more out of it as we grow and change. And you've seen that to be true. So don't let, let's let's uh, encourage each other toward toward a holy frustration and a knowledge of God. There's more to be mined. Okay. Turn with me to. Oh, this is good, um, Psalm one thirty nine. You know this text pretty well. I'll just read. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. Let's read uh, the first probably six verses. David writes, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then you go on in the psalm and you see how uh, he's describing these, these wonderful attributes of God. And he's he's leading us to, to adore God and be amazed by God and all that he is and how, um, you know, how we can't escape his presence, you know, is another aspect of this psalm. And he says, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. What is he doing? David is thinking big thoughts about God. He is stretching his mind to the limits so he can know more about God. Think more deeply and think big thoughts of God. Do you stretch your mind to the limits when you're thinking about God? We think hard about a lot of stuff. I mean, let's be honest. There are things that, were, that interest us, whether it's it, it's at work, or it's a hobby of ours, or it's something we'd like to do in our free time. We think hard about certain things. We should think, be thinking hardest about God. We should be thinking. Uh, we should be stretching our minds to the limits when we're thinking about God, because He is the one that is outside of uh, capacity for us to completely grasp. So, are using your are you using your mental energies most when you think about God and try to try, try to know more about him? That, that's what the psalmist is doing here. He is, he is I mean using illustrations, he's using uh, parts of, of literature, words so that he can help us think more deeply. I mean and just think of all the, the, uh, the prophets or the wisdom literature in the Old Testament how they use descriptions to help us think um, of God. I mean, God has humbled Himself to come and put Himself in a word form, has He not? And um, there are these, uh, what are they call anthropomorphisms, like when we talk about God having a hand, right? Uh, he doesn't really have a hand, but uh, the the psalmists are seeking to help us know God, and and then using descriptions about how he uh, he pulls back the curtain of the uh, the skies or the cosmos. I can't remember the exact terminology, right? just to help us wonder at him and to think more uh, about him and to, to be able to uh, put some some hands and feet to what are, we're thinking about God, to understand more about him. And so I ask you, are you thinking big thoughts of God? Are you seeking to think large, grandiose, awesome thoughts of God? We should help each other think big thoughts of God and, thought, and small thoughts of man instead of big thoughts of man and small thoughts of God, we, we can often think very highly of man. Don't you, we love watching the Olympics, right? You guys like, I mean, I love watching the Olympics. I mean, it's amazing what um, people can do with their bodies. You know, the, the, I mean, the fact that gymnasts can hurl themselves in the air and and, and flip like they do, I just, that, that baffles me. It seems like they're defying gravity. Like, how is this happening? You know, and and how divers can do the same thing. Uh, I like to watch the Olympics because it, it it amazes me what people can do with their bodies, right? Uh, and every, I mean, people watch sports for the same reason. they want to, to be uh, they want to be astounded by what they see? But we're just people, ultimately, right? God has made us, and He's He's made us to be able to do uh, awesome things. But oh, how much! greater is he. We tend to think bigger thoughts of man than we do of God. That's an injustice. That's an injustice. Are you seeking to be wowed by God by opening up the scriptures and looking at, I mean, especially the Psalms and all these, these illustrations that are used, and he also does it in the prophets as well, talking about um, God in these big ways. Don't think big thoughts of man. And if you think any thought that's big of man, then let that point you to bigger thoughts of God, because God made man. Right? Okay. Let's help each other do that. Let's help each other seek to think large thoughts of him. I I love to to hear John Piper preach, because he, he really wants to help his audience do that. He uses... All kinds of, he makes up new words and hyphenates all kinds of words to make you think uh, more deeply about who God is. And he uses descriptions because he, he understands that God is supreme and, and beyond um, our understanding and comprehension. But we can, know him. we can know him. We can know him more. Not fully and completely in terms of everything about him, but we can know him more. Okay. Look at, oh man. So much more. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.7. This is interesting. Let's turn on to this verse this week. Paul talking to Timothy. He says, think, o- think over what I say for, or because, right? for, the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So thank for the Lord will give you understanding. So what we have here is uh, Paul saying, I want you to do something, Timothy. I want you to work at thinking. Right? Think over what I have said to you. So you need to do some work. Why should you do this work, Timothy? Because the Lord's going to give you Understanding. Do the work of thanking because God is going to deliver and he's going to give you understanding. You think because God is going to give understanding. So there, there's incentive for us to think about what God has revealed. So uh, because in, in thinking, God reveals more of his truth to us. He gives us more understanding as we do the work of thanking. Okay? So we need to exhort each other to work hard at thinking about God's word while trusting God to reveal himself. Both, right? Both. Let's let's do the hard work of opening up the Bible and toiling over the Word of God, trusting that God will work through that to give you more understanding. Pray before you get into the Word of God. Exhort each other to pray. Lord, give me more understanding. Help me think. And as I'm thinking, give me more understanding. You ever implore people to think more deeply than they do about God? Let's help each other do that. Don't be afraid to do it. okay? And, and if someone tells you, l- l- let me give you a little permission here, okay? Uh, don't be afraid to tell people to think more deeply about who God is in the Word of God and, and what he's done. Don't be afraid to do that. And then on the other side, if someone uh, implores you to think more deeply, then don't be offended by that. Don't be like, what? Oh come on! How pompous is that? You're telling me to think more deeply about God, as if you're, yeah, you know, like you're so much better than I am. Don't be offended by that if somebody does that. Don't be afraid to do it either. Okay, let's let's accept that from people. Let's do it it's because we understand we're all needy sinners. We need to become more like Jesus. We realize that God works His grace through us to each other, right? Good. And you can look at that Proverbs text as well. We we've looked at it um, previously, but. Basically, saying the same thing in the Proverbs 2 uh, text. He's saying, seek for wisdom because God gives it. Seek wisdom because God gives it. Okay. Let us, okay, in, under, underneath that, let me say this. Don't be so quick to move on from texts you think are hard to understand. So do the, wor- do the hard work of thinking. We, don't, don't you do that? I mean, I've done that. You get to a text, you're like, I don't understand what that means. Next. What's in the next chapter? And uh, we've all done that, but don't, I mean, camp out there for a little while. We tend to want to spend more time on the text that we are more familiar with instead of the ones we we think are hard to understand. Spend more time on the texts that are hard to understand. Um, Seek to look around, look at the context, ask questions of the text. Don't be so quick to move on. Think more deeply about his word. I mean, it's God, right? If anyone deserves for us to think hard, it's God. He made us. He saved us. What else would be involved in in thinking hard? Ask humble, not skeptical questions of the text, right? Learn to ask questions of the text. Now, um, why do I say humble, not skeptical? Because we can, there's a way that we can ask questions of God's word that has a standing over God's word, like we're the judge of it. Like, we, I am the uh, supreme judge of the word of God, and I determine what it says. Don't ask skeptical questions of the text like that. Rather, questions of the text where the word of God is standing over you. It's your judge, right? And you ask humble questions of it, seeking to learn. Okay, seeking to know God more by asking those questions. Okay, uh, let, me, let me hand out this real quick. Seth, you want to help me out here, buddy? Sure. Why don't you hand these out to everybody? I'll, I'll work on the other half. If you want to work. I'll get the other half of the room. These are uh, questions, Donna, to ask of a scripture text. Okay, yes, sir. Is that enough there for you guys? Need one more? more? Okay, good deal. Okay, so I've gathered these from a few different sources. So got three there. Okay, I think one more as well. Okay, here we go. It's taken from a book called uh, "The Welcome Here: Welcome to the Story" by Steve Nichols, and also an article that's in the ESV Study Bible by J.I. Packer. But this is just to get you started on asking questions of the text. So here we go. Uh, Information gathering questions. What is shown about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right, in this text? What is shown about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What attributes are on display? Attributes of God. What work is God doing here? How does the biblical author point us to God in this text? Even though God may be not be explicitly mentioned in this text, how is He at work in what is happening? How is He directing behind the scenes? How does the passage either reveal or re- reflect the glory of God? You know, why did He use that word? Right? You ask that question as well. There's a, and why did He put that word there? Or right, and and why why not in another place? You know, there's a lot of words, uh, a lot of uh, information gathering questions that you can ask about words. Application-oriented questions. Does this passage offer any models of those who miss the point by seeing God at work and by not focusing on, by not seeing God at work and not focusing on his glory? Does this passage offer any models of those who get the point? What can I learn from these negative and positive examples? What does this text teach me about my own pursuits and agendas? What selfish ambitions and pursuits do I need to repent of in light of what I just read in God's word? And what have I learned from the text that helps me keep God and his glory at the center of my life. That's just going to get you started. You're asking questions of the text. So use those in your study, if that will help. Also, if you want to think hard about God's word so you can know God more, and seek to love him and love other people through following Jesus with your mind, do some reading on how to study the Bible. Okay, um, Study hermeneutics, right? the study of interpreting Scripture. Okay, uh, And what, what can I do? What can I recommend in terms of uh, you doing some reading on how to study the Bible? We've got uh, some of these available here at the church. How to Study the Bible by John MacArthur, a little book on, on how to study. You may be interested in that. Uh, there's another book that just came out last year called Bible Study, A Student's Guide by John Nielsen. Uh, that's, uh, not, we don't have that here, but you can find that on a- Amazon. Uh, Journey into God's Word, which is basically the uh, syllabus version of this textbook which is the next one, Grasping God's Word. Um, we, we went through this in men's ministry for a year. It's a textbook on uh, approaching, uh, kind of a hands-on approach to interpreting the Word of God, okay, and, and applying it to your life. So those are some, uh, we, we've got these two available here at the church, and the other two you can find on Amazon. Okay, so study how to study the Bible. Right, do some reading on that subject. Okay. Okay. What what about this? Write down the questions you can't answer. You spend a little time. You're know, trying to figure it out. Um, use your study Bible. But then, if you if you've got some questions that you can't answer, write them down. Like while while you're having your devotional time, just take out your pen, write that down, and then ask a brother or sister with a bit more knowledge of God's word. Hey, what do you think this means? I'm, I'm trying to wrap wrap my mind around this aspect of God's um, character or this aspect of the cross and the, and the resurrection. Help me think through this. I, um, you know, I, I, I like to do this with, with Dan and Jason in the office quite a bit. You know, just, it helps to wrestle with the text with somebody else. You know, so write down your questions and then uh, and ask people. Ask people at church. You know, uh, get on Facebook, ask questions of your your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come here on Sundays with, with questions written down and talk about them. Okay. I mean, if you have questions written down from your time in God's Word during the week, and I mean, that's just an, that's already, that, that's an agenda for you whenever you have conversations with people when you're here on Sunday morning, right? You've already got your agenda. You're like, uh, how are we going to seek to fellowship and to uh, disciple each other this morning? Well, I've got these questions. This is a good start, you know? Okay. I knew this as well. Study the Bible together. The concept, right? The concept. Study the Bible together. Just, just get together with another brother or sister and open up the Bible you know, get, get a study guide like um, here I've got uh, the good book guides listed If you go to uh, the good book company or I said I think it's the okay it's a great little publishing company that puts out these good book guides to lots of the the Bible uh, books in the Bible right this is a uh, first Corinthians 1 um, one through nine and that's by Mark Dever It's seven studies going through the first nine chapters of first Corinthians uh, these are great little study guides go through one with with somebody else here in the body Right, some, some other Christian that you know, open the Bible together. And, and a way to help you do that, and this is a book that we sell here as well, a one-to-one Bible reading, a simple guide for every Christian. It's basically a book that tells you, here's how you can read the Bible with other people and seek to benefit from it. Right. So study the Word together. Get together over coffee. Have people come over to your house, whatever. Study the Bible with each other. It, it helps. I'm telling you, we... we Again, we're sinners, right? We're sinners that, uh, where sin has affected our minds, okay? Um, and we know that the Spirit dwells in each of us. So I think it's really going to help us to get together, you know, with a good study guide, maybe with a good commentary, and put our minds together as we come to the Word of God humbly with a, with a teachable spirit, seeking to learn together. It'll be better for us, right? Two people filled with the Spirit coming together with the Word of God. And uh, reading in faith and having the Holy Spirit fill you. Okay. Last one underneath, how do we think hard? Plead with God to give you grace to understand and embrace his word. Right? Plead with God to give you grace to understand and embrace his word. Right? Uh, Psalm 119.18. It says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Right? We talk, I think I talked about this in a sermon a few weeks back, how we should be people who are praying as we go into the Word of God, depending on God to reveal to us uh, not only understanding, but also give us a heart that embraces the Word of God and sees it as beautiful and wonderful. Okay, So we should be praying. Do not study the Bible without praying. Right? It is His book. And it's a spiritual book, and it is, uh, it is uh, living and active. You need God so that you can see it and believe it right? for what it is and what, how God has revealed himself in the scriptures. Okay, what else do we need to do to help each other follow Jesus with our minds? Ask questions like these. How has your time in God's word led you to enjoy, treasure, trust, honor, or love Jesus? Because, again, our minds should lead us to know God, love God, and love people, right? So instead of just asking a question like, you know, what did you learn or what did you get out of it? Those are good questions, but don't just stop there. Don't, don't stop at what did you learn or what did you get out of it. How did that knowledge lead you to enjoy, treasure, trust, honor, or love Jesus? Don't let it stop at just the cognitive level. When We're asking each other these kinds of questions, and we can invite this as well. Now, here's one I, I thought of this morning after I already printed my notes on Friday, and I want to add it. Uh, some, one last thing you can do to help each other um, follow Christ with your mind is this. Remind each other that many times it is meditation And contemplation of the Trinity, which is the best thing for you and your struggles. I'll say that again. Remind each other that many times it is meditation and contemplation of the Trinity, the Godhead, right? Which is the best thing for you and your struggles. I I mentioned this um, when I was preaching Psalm 73 a little while ago. but we see how Asaph has been believing lies. He's struggling. He's believing doubts. He, he's envious of the wicked because they're prospering. And he's seeking to, to be honoring to the Lord and his life is hard. And so in Psalm 73, he's trying to figure this out. And he says, when I thought how to understand this, in verse 16, it seemed to me a wearisome task. When I sought to, how to understand this? It seemed to me a wearisome task. Verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. I was listening to um, a guy named Dale Ralph Davis preach on that. And he said, you know, sometimes we don't need to understand the problems inside and out. What we need to do is go to God. Contemplate Him. Let, let our struggles drown in the contemplation and meditation of the Godhead. All right? So, Listen listen to this quote. I'll I'll close with this. It's in uh, Knowing God. It is a quote from Charles Spurgeon that he starts out with in the very first chapter of the book. He's talking about contemplating Christ. Oh, there is in contemplating Christ a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, There is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there's a balsam for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul. So calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief. So speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. He says, it is to that subject that I invite you this morning. So remind each other of that. Think and contemplate and meditate on who God is in the scriptures. And many times that's, the, that's what we need most in our struggles, not necessarily to understand why they're happening exactly the, the way they're happening, but what we need is to know more of him and let his character, and his love, and, his, and what he has done push away those struggles and those sorrows and those griefs and those pains. We drown them in his character and his work. Okay, let's pray, shall we? Father God, thank you for the intentiveness of this class today. And I pray it would yield fruit as we seek to be a discipling church. But we cannot do it apart from your grace. So please give us ample grace so that we can obey you and the way of helping each other follow Christ. With our hearts, with our heads, with our hands, Lord, and in this local church, the body. We ask in Jesus' name.